Good morning, uh, church family. I uh, hope you're all well from your homes. Uh, we just say we love you, we miss you. Um, we look forward to being together again soon, so hang in there. Um, as Andrew said, if you're just kind of visiting with us this morning, um, maybe just kind of tuning in out of curiosity or, or whatever, um, just want you to know we were praying for you before our gathering, and we just pray that you'll be uh, blessed and uh, you receive from your time kind of with us this morning. So um, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. Uh, most of my time is spent uh, with our East congregation. Um, I miss you, brothers and sisters uh, in South. Um, I haven't been able to be with you uh, for a while now um, for kind of obvious reasons. Um, but what I really miss is our joint gatherings. I um, don't know about you guys. I miss those times when we um, can physically be together, not like this morning, but physically uh, kind of just in one room, um, whether that's a members meeting or uh, a prayer and worship night or uh, our volunteers dinner. Um, I, I long for those, those moments again where we are physically together celebrating our unity as brothers and sisters of Christ. Um, those are my favorite moments. Uh, mov- moments uh, as a church family. So um, I'm sure even a lot of you, even just hearing me remind you of those moments, uh, that brings a, a bit of like a pain uh, in, your, in your stomach, um, because we all long for those things again. We long to be together again. We long to have those good things uh, back into our lives again. So um, what I've been praying over the last few weeks has been that the Lord would use these circumstances, um, that He would use that kind of pain in our stomach, um, to press these lessons of Advent deeper into us than He ever has before. Um, that's been my prayer, um, that He'd teach us to wait, um, that He'd teach us these Advents uh, lessons of hoping and longing and expectation and uh, waiting for the light to dawn uh, over the horizon. So, um, last week, uh, Andrew introduced us to uh, this series, uh, over these four Sundays of Advent, we are looking at the four royal names of Jesus that Isaiah gives him in his prophecy in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 6. I'm just going to read that, um, that scripture again for us. If you have a Bible, open it up to Isaiah 9. You'll want to kind of follow along with us. I'm actually going to start in the verse before chapter 8, verse 22. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Her is the Lord's people. In the former time, He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So Galilee, that region, and this land of Zebulun and Naphtali, they're actually the same area. He's referencing the same area, uh, but he's looking back and he says, in that former time, there was contempt, there was darkness, but then he looks forward and he says, the latter time is glorious. Um, so he's, he's kind of looking forward, but he's speaking as if it's the present. And he says in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. And Father, we love you. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for giving us your promises. Um, help us to see how true your word is this morning, Lord. How, how trustworthy your word is. How much we can cling on to you and what you say. Teach us how to do that, Lord. Uh, no matter how deep our valleys seem to be, no matter how dark our circumstances get, we have a God who loves us and who makes good promises to us, and he is faithful to keep those promises. So increase our joy and our hope in you this morning, Lord. Amen. Um, last week, Andrew explained the background to this text. I won't go all o- over all that again uh, today, but just remember that this, is a, this message that Isaiah is bringing the people and this message of this great light that will shine and disperse the darkness, uh, this message of this child who will be the Messiah, who will establish this, this reign of, of peace and, and rule forever. And he's bringing them this message of great hope as they are about to embark on some of the darkest times in uh, their history. So they're going to go into battle. Um, this great kingdom of Assyria uh, is going to come and the going to enter into Jerusalem and scatter these people uh, all over the world. They're going to be thrust into exile, into thick darkness. Um, All of that is about to take place. Um, So they need to hear this message of hope. Um, Isaiah is saying, listen, there's some some dark times coming your way. There's some difficult things you're about to endure, but there's hope in the middle of it all. And he says to them that the climax of this hope is verse 6, for to us a child is born, To us a son is given. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So their context is darkness. It's fear, anxiety, uncertainty. Uh, But as Andrew taught us last week, this God of the Bible, our God, he's, he's a God who does not let his people stay in that gloom of anguish. No, he's a God who actually follows us into this thick darkness, and he replaces that darkness with light. And we saw that he, he does this by sending this child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. I love how much Isaiah tells us about this person in these few lines. Uh, so the fact that he is born speaks of his humanity. He's, he's going to be like us, one of us. Uh, but the fact that he is given speaks of his divine origin. This is a, a gift given from heaven. Um, notice Isaiah says, to us, this child is born, which is kind of strange, isn't it? And normally when you, when you think of a child being born, you don't think of them being born to a large group of people. Um, uh, Phil and Peggy had their baby uh, over the past couple days, and uh, I don't think, hey, we all had a baby. No, they're born to those people, to, in the, to that family. But this, you see, is no ordinary child. He's to us, he is born and given. 
Um, you actually hear those words about 700 years later um, when that child finally pops up in Galilee. Um, remember in Luke chapter 2 when the angel uh, announces the birth of this child to the shepherds in the field, and, and that angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. He doesn't say a child. He says a Savior. So unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the, the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the Savior they've been waiting on for so long. This is who is born unto these people. It's no ordinary child. And back in Isaiah 9, uh, this, this son who will be given, uh, upon his shoulder will rest the government of the universe. This is Emmanuel spoken of in, as, in Isaiah 7. This is God come to be with us. This is no ordinary child. Last week we saw his name, his wonderful counselor, um, and she said, this isn't, this isn't someone who just brings good advice into your life. No, this is the source of all wisdom. He comes with all the answers. He comes to meet your every need. Your deepest and your most desperate cries in the thickest of darkness, this Messiah hears those cries and is able to help you because He is wonderful counselor, and remember that word isn't an, an adjective. It's, he's not describing this counselor who is coming as, hey, he's going to be a really good counselor. No, he, he's, he's saying this counselor is a wonder. And, and remember that, that Hebrew thinking, it, it, a wonder is something that demanded God as its, as its explanation. The only thing that can explain a wonder is God. And you actually see this in Psalm 78 um, psalm 78 is this psalm that rebukes the people for forgetting the wonders of God. And, and one of the wonders that the psalmist references is when God divided the sea and He made the waters pile up into a heap and allowed the people to, to pass through on dry land. And the question is, who can make the waters stand up on a heap? And there's only one answer to that question, and it's only God can do that. And that's the Jewish thinking on wonder, is it, it's something that demands God for its explanation. And, and, and you bring that thinking forward into the New Testament, and that, remember that scene when Jesus is on the boat with His disciples, and they're in the middle of that terrible storm, and, and the disciples are fearing for their life, and Jesus stands up, and He commands the wind and the waves to be calm, and the storm stops. And the disciples, they turn to themselves, and they say, who is this? that the wind and the waves obey Him. And they knew that such, an, such a wonder demanded God as His explanation. This is a wonderful counselor. He's a counselor full of wonder. The Son who will be given is God with us. He comes with all the wisdom, with all the explanations, and He comes with a plan to bring them out of the darkness. And we see in the next name given that we're looking at today, not only does he comes with a plan, but He comes with the power to carry out that plan because He is mighty God. The Hebrew for that word is, is El Gabor. Gabor, it's, it's sometimes used as an adjective to, 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 for someone who is strong or, or, or mighty. Um, it's sometimes used as a noun for, to mean strong one or, or hero or champion. Um, and remember, I, Isaiah is saying, you're going to all kinds of things uh, to find answers and hope in the middle of your darkness. 
You saw this in, in last week in, Isaiah, in chapter 8, verse 19, where they inquire with mediums and necromancers. They're essentially trying to communicate with the dead uh, in search for hope and, and answers for the future. And Isaiah says to them, what are you doing? Shouldn't a people inquire of God? And so he then points us to this Messiah, that this, this one who will come with all the wisdom and all the counsel this one who is the wonderful counselor. But he, he moves on from that and he says, he will also be your strength. You're, you're, you're going to all these other things to, to put your hope and to find faith. He says, you don't need on any of those things. What you need is a mighty God who will stand for you. What you need is a mighty God who will come and fight on your behalf. So the son who will come will be El Gabor, this, this mighty one who is coming that this hero who is on the way for you. Um, usually when that word gibor is used in the Old Testament, it refers to uh, military might. And um, really the people of Israel, when they thought of the Messiah, they, they were thinking of, of this, this new David, this new King David. Um, so remember, David was the, the greatest of all of the kings. Um, it was David was the one who was responsible for really establishing the, the golden age uh, of Israel under the Old Covenant. Under the providence of God, David was able to unite all 12 tribes of Israel uh, and turn this nation into this major power in the ancient world, um, which wasn't an easy feat because they were under kind of constant threat in the promised land. But, but David was able to turn Israel into an economic and a military power. And David ushered in this era of peace and prosperity. Pros prosperity. So, the, the people thought of the Messiah as this, this new David or this new Davidic era. Um, when they heard, maybe when they heard that word Gabor, they, they would have even thought of David's mighty men, um, the, the Gabor of David or the, the heroes and the, the champions of David. Um, uh, so when they saw this, the, the, this Gabor, they thought of this someone who, who was like that, who had military strength. The, these these uh, mighty men of David were just unmatched in their, their military strength. When they fought, the Lord brought victory. Um, you can read about them in 2 Samuel 23, um, but one of these men said, was said to have killed 800 men with one, with one spear. Um, bad dude. Um, another one of the, the warriors fought alongside David, and he fought so long and so hard that at the end he couldn't unclasp his hand from his sword. Um, another one of the guys jumped into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. He's, I, I don't know how much of this is uh, literal or hyperbole, but the, the, the point is these are mighty warriors. These are heroes. And that's what the people might have thought of when they heard that El Gabor on the way. Military might, um, heroes, champions, which, to be honest, when you read chapter 9, it kind of makes sense in light of what Isaiah is saying, this, this mighty God who will come and establish this kingdom forever. He, he will come and establish victory and peace and reign and rule forever. And it kind of makes sense when you read verses 4 and 5, the, the battle language in those verses. In those verses, you see the Messiah is one who will shatter the yoke that burdens, his, that burdens the captives, that, that, that bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. Only a mighty champion can do that. So when they thought of the Messiah, they would think of a military champion. He would come and he would free them from uh, whoever was holding them in captive at the time, whether it's Assyria or Rome or whoever. 
But when Jesus turns up, you see that's not his ambition. When Jesus turns up, his main concern isn't with their physical battles, but rather a spiritual one. And that put a lot of people off, didn't it? And they, they wanted that military champion. And when Jesus didn't, come up, uh, turn, didn't turn up to be that military champion, uh, well, they killed him in the end. Um, I guess this wasn't the El Gabor. This wasn't the mighty hero that was promised to us. But you read the, uh, you read the Bible, and, and Jesus was a mighty God. He was a champion. He was a, a mighty hero come to set his people free. But he didn't come as a military champion. He came as a, as a spiritual champion. Jesus essentially comes and he says, listen, you have a much greater enemy than these nations. You, you have a much more serious problem than any physical bondage. And that's why Jesus came to do battle, not against earthly kings and nations, but to battle sin and death and hell and the grave. That's the champion that Isaiah saw. Jesus coming not to fight physical enemies, but a spiritual enemy. That's what, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, isn't it? And he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. So Jesus actually, he, he says, he gives us the reason why he came in Luke 19. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I wonder if you see his, his, his birth as that, or do you see the nativity as this, just a, a sweet and cuddly scene? A nice kind of Christmas card scene. No, Jesus' birth was a heroic act. He, he, think of it. He leaves the glory and the majesty of heaven that He's known and He's enjoyed for all eternity. He leaves that. He sets that glory aside, and He enters into our darkness. Why? To seek and to save the lost. It's, it's cute that we put that kind of cuddly halo on the baby Jesus' head. There's, he's kind of surrounded by the cuddly sheep, but he didn't come so you could have a nice Christmas card to send your friends. No, when the birth of Jesus took place, that was a strategic move by God the Father to send his son to the front line of the war and declare to Satan, your time is almost up. Here's my champion. He's come to save my people. He's come to bring about my peace and rule. I wonder, do you see the birth of Jesus in that way, as that heroic act? Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came as our mighty God to do what only He could do. He came to do what we could never do. That's what Paul says in Romans 5, Romans 5, 6 to 8. He says, for while we were weak, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Think of that. At just the right time, at just the right moment in history, while we were weak, while we were unable to fight for ourselves, Christ came and He died for the ungodly. He, he moves on and He says, uh, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's incredible. That, that's our circumstance, that no matter how hard we try, we are unable to fight for ourselves. That's the pattern that you see in Scripture. For thousands of years, people trying to keep the law and failing over and over again, proving that we cannot do it on our own. 
that we cannot make that spiritual journey into eternal life simply by being good enough. That's something that God had to do on our behalf. And so just at the right moment, He sends His Son, and He did that so that we can have a champion, so that we could have a Savior. I love how he, uh, Romans 5, 8 shows just how uh, absurd this love that God has for us is. While we were sinners, while we were against Him, while we were enemies, He sends His Son to die for us. We are completely unworthy of this. That there's, there's nothing good in us that makes Him think, ah, oh, that's a good reason to come. I, 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 guess I, better, I, I guess I better come because they've done this. Paul, Paul says the opposite in Romans 3. He says no one's righteous, not one. No, no one seeks for God on their own and does any good to merit salvation. So he says, while we were still sinners, Christ came and He died for us. While we were at our worst, in our animosity against God, He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to fight for you even though you don't want me. And John said this, he said, he came, Jesus came to His own and they didn't even want Him. He, he came into this world that was made through Him. He came into this world that He Himself spoke into being and they didn't even recognize Him. God loved us so much that even though we weren't, weren't worthy of a Savior, even though we constantly turn our backs on Him, He sends His Son anyway and He declares war on our greatest enemy, Satan. And if you think of Jesus' birth as that way, think of Jesus as our mighty God. Think of Him as our heroic warrior who has divine power and is fighting our battle on our behalf. Um, and I want to point out something very important. Um, th this promised one Isaiah is talking about, he's different from other Gabors. Um, think of it, when you think of our, the heroic figures uh, in history, and whether it's a war hero or a sports hero, or Tom also loved this, even like a comic book superhero, um, mo most of the time they, they become heroes because it's thrust upon them. And what I mean is they, they find themselves in a dire situation, a situation where they have to step up, and that they have to fill a role and, and be a hero. And you see this in all kind of heroic movies, um, sports movies, the, the captain of the team, you know, gets hurt and the guy on the bench has to come and, and save the day, be the hero. Um, or th that movie, 1917, World War I, um, a, a message needs to be delivered uh, to stop that, um, uh, the troops from going in. So this one unlikely uh, soldier has to go through the, uh, the front lines and battle his way to deliver that message. He finds himself, have to step up and be that hero. Isaiah doesn't talk about Jesus in that way. He doesn't say he's another hero, just another Gabor. He says, he, he says he's El Gabor. El is, means God in Hebrew. He, he's not just another hero. He is God the hero. He's not just a, a, another mighty one. He is God the mighty one. What you see is, is Jesus doesn't stumble into something and decide to take on the role of Messiah. He doesn't look around one day as he's working in his wood shop and, and, and think, someone needs to do something for these people. 
Maybe I should step up. That's not what you see the Bible teach. The Bible tells us that he is given, that, they, that he is born into this role, that he was born with this title, Mighty God. Um, you, you see this in, in Luke chapter 2. Again, when, that, when the angel comes to the shepherds, he says, today a Savior is born. Today Christ the Messiah is born. He was born Savior. He, he didn't take up this mantle at some point in his life when he saw the need. No, he was born Savior. He was born King. He came to seek and save the lost. He was born that men no more may die. A Savior has been born to you. Jesus came to be the Savior of all mankind. He was born mighty God come to save. Um, and the Bible teaches us that we need this mighty God in order to be saved. We, we actually depend on Jesus being mighty God for our salvation because we cannot save ourselves. And there, there's nothing that we can do on our own that will get us to heaven. There's no amount of good. There's no amount of food we can give to a food bank. You know, we, the, the Bible teaches us that we need a hero. We, we need a champion, a savior, and Jesus came to be that savior. And if you have your Bibles, oh, turn over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, um, verse 14. I want us to take a quick look um, at the story that, that Jesus gives that shows us that our salvation is actually dependent on one who is mighty enough to save us. Um, I'll just read from, from verse 14. Um, now, Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of, some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, love that, that he says, puts that in there, this is God in the flesh, this is God with us, he knows their thoughts, and he says to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and, an, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Verse 20, he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, that's a mighty God. He swipes them away with a finger, like you swipe on your phone, get out of here. If by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 21 and verse 22, he sums it up. This is the thesis. This is what he's trying to say. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he, is, in which he, in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus He's being accused of casting out demons as a demonic power himself, and yet he turns to them and he tells them, he says, here's the truth. He says, all men are born into Satan's kingdom, into Satan's household. We, we, that's, our, that's our natural um, way we are born. We are born into sin. We are born with a sinful nature. We are born separated from God, and because we're separated from God, Satan has power over us because we're in his house. 
And he, he, he's, he, Satan is the, the, the strong man who is guarding his house in verse 21. And he's saying, that's what you are born into. And the, the only way to get out of that house is if a stronger man comes and he over, overcomes, he overpowers that person guarding the door. And Jesus says, I'm that stronger man. I, I'm the mighty one who comes. When you see me casting out demons, it's not because I'm part of the kingdom of demons. It's because I'm more powerful than demons. It's because I come up to Satan who is fully armed, who is, who is, who is powerful, who guards his house, and I demand him get out of the way. I, I move him with my finger because I'm the stronger man, because I'm mighty God. And Jesus is this champion who says, I'm fighting on your behalf. And I can bring you out of Satan's kingdom and into my kingdom. I'll bring you out of this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. I'll bring you out of spiritual death and into everlasting life because I'm the stronger man. I'm mighty God. You see, Satan has got a hold on this world, but Jesus has come to destroy Satan's stronghold. What this story is telling us is that we are born into a desperate situation and we are unable to save ourselves and that we are totally dependent on Him who is mighty God to come and save us. Again, just like Paul says in Romans 5, we are, while we are weak, while we were still sinners, Christ came as mighty God to rescue us how does he do, do that? Through his death on the cross. While we were sinners, Christ came and died for us. It's amazing news. Um, as we kind of draw to a close here, um, I just want to point out what the beautiful part of that means for us. What, here's the, the beautiful part for us. Um, what this means is that weakness isn't a fatal flaw when your life is in the hands of a mighty God. Let me say that again. Weakness isn't a fatal flaw when your hands, when your life are in the hands of a mighty God. And what I mean is we often think, well, I'm too weak um, to be part of this kingdom. I, I, I'm too big a failure. I, I, I stumble every single day. How can I be good enough? How can God possibly use me? And we think weakness is a fatal flaw. And Jesus comes along and he says, your weakness isn't a fatal flaw when your life is in the hands of a mighty God. Because what God does is he, he gives you the ability to stand strong, even in your weakness. And you see this in, in, with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. And remember that passage where Paul, he, he talks about this thorn in the flesh um, that he has. We don't know exactly what this was, but um, Paul actually calls it a, a, a messenger sent from Satan to harass him. So it sounds pretty, pretty, uh, pretty serious. And, and whatever it was, Paul thought it weakened him, that, that it kind of held him back, and he begged God multiple times to take it away. He's, he's saying, God, take this away um, from me. Let me have power over it. And Jesus tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says that those weaknesses that you are so concerned about, 
You don't need to worry about them because my power is made perfect in weakness. You, you bring your weaknesses to me and I'll be powerful for you. I'll be strong for you because I'm mighty God. I, I've come to be your champion. So when you're weak, that's not a problem. I'll, I'll hold you. I'll be powerful for you. And look at Paul's response. In response to this, he says, therefore, because Jesus just said that his power is made perfect in strength, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Isn't that amazing? I'll boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness and insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't this the best news for us? Our weaknesses aren't a fatal flaw because Jesus came as our champion. He came as our mighty God and stands in the gap for us. So not only do we need not worry about our weaknesses, we can boast in them. When's the last time you did that? Man, I'm so thankful for the weaknesses I have in my life. That's, that's what Paul was like. He was thankful for those things. He boasted in them because those weaknesses forced him to his knees. And they forced him to, to cry out before the Lord, God, I can't do this. Will you do it for me? And Jesus says, yes, I'll do that. Let, let me do it for you. Let, let me do for you what you can never do. Let me be your mighty God. What does this mean for you today? Some of you are barely hanging on this morning. Maybe you were just this close to not even tuning in this morning. Maybe you feel like you can't go one step further. Getting up this morning, you thought, I don't, I don't even want to do this. Some of you have been trying so hard and Jesus is telling you, won't you find your rest in me? It's okay to be weak in this moment. I'll fight for you. Some of you feel trapped by your weakness. You feel that these weaknesses limit you. You think you're not good enough because of them. Let me remind you that you have a mighty God who has no limitations. And he wants you to delight in your weaknesses so that you can marvel in his strength. Some of you, if you're being completely honest with yourself, you're terrified of giving your all to Jesus, of committing everything to him because you don't think you're strong enough to follow through. Well, guess what? You're not strong enough, but Jesus is. Trust him. Trust him to, put, to be your mighty God. Trust him when he says that his power is made perfect in your weakness. He will be faithful to that. Some of you are trying with all your might to fight sin and temptation in your life, but you're failing miserably. You know what your sin is, that, that thing that you battle over and over and over again, 
and you still fall. It's because you're not strong enough. But Jesus wants you to stop trying to do it on your own. And he's saying, I'll step in for you. I'll give you the power. Come to me when you're tempted. Come to me when you're wounded. Come to me when you're weak. Don't try to struggle on your own. Come to me. Come to me. He said this in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is this Jesus that is able, as he says in Isaiah 9, to shatter the yoke of the oppressors that burdens you? He shatters that, and he's able to place his yoke upon you, this yoke that is easy, this burden that is light. He's able to do that because on his shoulder rests the government of the universe. Are you weary this morning? Are you weak? Are you heavy laden? Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest for your soul. And not only does he give you rest, he gives you power. My, per- my power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus says, you want power? Come to me with your weakness. That's what he tells his disciples, and he tells them just straight up, and he can't be more clear in John 15. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He can't be more clear about his power here. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Brothers and sisters, in your waiting for Christ to come again, remember that Jesus is your mighty God. He came to save you. He came to give you rest for your souls. And he came to empower you in your weakness. So now ask the band to come and we're going to pray. We Father, we, Father, we just thank you that you are powerful. We thank you that you are strong and you send your Son to earth to enter into our darkness, to be like us, to experience just how hard this journey is. And you've You've sent him to be mighty God. Lord, help us to see the good news in that today. Help us to, 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 to wonder at that, to, to see that this is God come to be with us, this mighty God, the one who spoke creation into being, stooping low to be our brother but to give us strength, to give us rest. Lord, I just pray for those in our family and those who are just kind of tuning in who feel heavy laden. Pray for those who are weary, 
Lord, may we come to you to find rest. Help us, Lord, to learn how to boast in our weakness. How opposite is that in the world? A world where you have to be strong, where you have to be who you are. You have to be the best version. You have to pull everything together and present something beautiful to the world. That is not what the Bible teaches. We thank you for this kingdom, Lord, that says, come to me when you're weak and I'll be strong. Come to me and I'll be your God, your mighty God. Jesus, we thank you for that promise. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to come to you with our weakness so that you can empower us. Thank you, Lord, that you are that trailblazer that you've gone before us as we've been learning in in Hebrews. Come, Lord Jesus, again. We can't wait to be with you forever. We can't wait for you to come and rule forever, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom where you wipe away every tear, where there is no more heavy laden, there's no more weariness. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.